and we're going to start that next week. But this week, we're going to finish greater. And uh, let me just cover a little bit of distance where we've been. For those of you who haven't been here, let me just talk to you a little bit about it. Uh, greater is a book by a pastor named Stephen Furtick. And uh, in it, he covers the life of the prophet Elisha. Elisha was one of the prophets in the Old Testament. He was not the greatest one. The greatest one was Elijah. And Elisha served Elijah, okay? And so where we pick up the story, the first week we talked about burn the plows. That was the theme for the day. And this is where Elijah comes along, and he takes off his mantle, tosses it on Elisha. And Elisha has the opportunity to make a decision, to burn his plows. In other words, give up his regular, ordinary life, the life that he knew from day to day. He knew riding a plow every day behind his cattle. And that's what he did for a living. And so he decided to burn the plows and follow after Elijah. And that meant giving up his living. That meant he killed his cattle as well, which was part of their, their monetary system at the time that was part of his wealth. So he left everything. He left his mom and dad behind. Everything he knew to go follow Elijah. And that's kind of what, what we do when we, when we decide to follow Jesus. We give up everything. We leave it behind. And we follow after him. And we burn our plows. Second week, we talked about digging ditches. Okay, so basically the story is a bunch of kings go out into the desert. They're on the war path. They've been in the desert for seven days, and they run out of water. They go to Elisha, and they say, Elisha, what do we do? And Elisha says, fill this valley full of ditches, which is symbolic of um, preparing or creating avenues for God to move in their lives, right? He said, what do you need? What, what is it that you need? And so we create, we dig ditches. We create opportunities for God to fill them. And that's what they did. He told them to dig ditches. They all dug these ditches in the middle of the valley and God filled them up with water and met their needs. Last week, we talked about God will not waste your faith, your prayers, or your pain. This is all about the, the Shunammite woman and the Shunammite woman who, who Elisha touched on her pain when he said, what can I do for you? You've been blessing me so much. And she said nothing, but he knew that she needed a son, or wanted a son. And so he promised her that she would have a son, and she did, but she never asked for the son. And a short time later, the son dies, and she comes to him and says, what do you do now? I never even asked for this child, and here he died. And uh, Elisha goes and, and prays for the child, and he comes back to life. And so it's like, for us and how we relate is, what do we do when disappointing times come? What do we do when that thing that is greater that God has called us to is suddenly taken away from us, or seems like it's not going to happen anymore? But God uses all of that for our, for our benefit and for his glory. So this week, what we're going to do is kind of pick up where we started the story, which is Elijah's departure. And this week we're going to say, and you're going to hear me say this like 20 times today, strike the water. That's the theme for today. Uh, it's taken from the, the, the Bible story where Elisha has burned the plows and he's been following after Elijah. And we actually don't hear about Elisha again until this point where he's following Elijah, and Elijah is getting ready to depart. There are two men in the Bible who never died. That's Enoch and Elijah. And Elijah is getting ready to depart. And you have to think about this for a moment. Elisha has left everything and is following after this guy. He's the only one that he knows. He's the only one that he's held on to. This has been his companion and his partner. And God speaks to Elisha's heart and says, Hey, I'm taking Elijah away. So he prepares him. Emotionally, Elisha is ready for Elijah to depart. He doesn't know when, he doesn't know how, but he knows he's going to leave. And so he's following him and they're traveling and Elijah turns to Elisha and says, listen, you need to go, go ahead and stay here. And Elisha says, I promise you I'm not going to leave your side. I'm going to stay right where, wherever you go, I'm going. Elijah moves on to the next town. He tells Elisha, you need to stay here. And Elisha says, nope, I'm not leaving your side. I'm going to go with you wherever you go. And each town that they go into, there are also prophets in each one of these towns who come up to Elisha and say, Elisha, Elijah's getting ready to leave. It's like they're kind of poking at him a little bit. He's like, geez, I know. Leave me alone. I'm going with him. 
And so they get to the Jordan River, and Elijah turns to Elisha, and he says, you've served me faithfully. What can I do for you? And Elisha does something very bold at this moment, which is not the, the point of the message today, but I really, really love this. He says, I want a double portion of the anointing that God has given you. In other words, all the miracles that Elijah did, Elisha wanted double. He wanted to be able to do all of those things. In fact, the Bible bears out the number of miracles recorded that Elijah did. Elisha actually did exactly double of the recorded miracles that Elijah did, which is just amazing. But Elisha looks at Elijah and says, I want double. And Elijah says, that's fine. If you want double, all you have to do is see me leave. And if you see me leave, then you can have what you've asked for. Elijah then approaches the Jordan River because they need to get to the other side. I don't know why they didn't go for a bridge, but I guess when you're a prophet and you have the power of God, this is what you do. He takes off his cloak and he strikes the water. Boom! And the water parts, rolls back to the right and to the left. I promise you I could not make this stuff up. It's in your Bible. Rolls right to the right and to the left and they walk across on dry land, right? Both of them go across and then the waters recede and it's back to being a river again. No sooner do they get to the other side, but then a chariot of fire, again, couldn't make it up, comes down out of the sky and grabs Elisha, Elijah up and takes him off into heaven. And here's your Disney movie moment, okay? Disney always has these moments where it's just like so sad, but it's like, oh. And you can just imagine if you could, just for a moment, like I said, this is the only man Elisha has known forever. And Elijah gets scooped up by this chariot of fire, right? Not the song, the actual thing, right? If you know what chariot of fire is. Anyway. Dun, 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 dun. That's chariot fire. Anyway, so it comes down, scoops him up, takes him off. And you can imagine Elijah's riding away. He's going off into the wind, and he's got his arms back, you know. He's king of the world. And he looks back over his shoulder, and he sees Elisha like this. Like, this is the Disney movie moment. I mean, do you not imagine the things when you're reading the Bible? I guess it's just me. Maybe I'm the only weird one here. I don't know. But I have to make it entertaining. I have to imagine. What did this look like? This didn't just happen. And everybody's like standing around. Like, you guys are looking at me. You're sitting there chilling. You're comfortable. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. If a chariot of fire appeared out of the sky and scooped somebody up, I'm probably going to be laying on the ground, like, looking for cover. You know what I'm saying? I'm getting burned, you know? So, so, so Elijah looks back and he sees Elisha just looking at him with these doe eyes like, ah, oh, he's gone. And he tosses his cloak back. And so the cloak falls to the ground and it flutters down right at Elisha's feet. Elisha has this moment where he picks up the cloak. And here's what's going to happen. We're going to go to uh, our Bibles. We're in 2 Kings 2, 13 through 14. Now, if you are here today and you do not have a Bible and you need one, if you would just raise your hand, we have prepared for you today. We have Bibles that we would like to give you. So if you just raise your hand, let us know. This is not something right here. Well, this is not something you need to give back to us. This is a Bible you can keep, okay? Uh, if you have a Bible at home and you want to leave it here for other people to use, that's fine. But this is for you to keep, okay? We'll also put it up here on the screen. So we're in 2 Kings 2, 13 through 14. And the verse says, Elisha then picked up Elijah's cloak that had fallen down from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. And he took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and struck the water with it. And he says, where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and it crossed over. So here's Elisha. The cloak has just fallen to the ground. And you have to imagine, nowhere in this does it say that Elisha, because remember, he said, I want a double portion. I want a double portion of whatever you're getting, Elijah. Nowhere in here does it say that as soon as he saw Elijah take off, that Elisha was raised up off of the ground and electrical bolts went through him or a light shone on him or that angels started singing or no trumpets blasted. 
There's nothing that happens to signify to Elisha that he had received his double portion. In fact, the only thing Elisha has to go on was Elijah's word that you'll receive a double portion if you see me. I think it would have been cool if he had electrical boats and was kind of floating like this for a minute and then, you know, landed on the ground. I think that would have been awesome. That would have definitely signified a double portion, I think. I don't know about you. Maybe it's just me. I don't know. Anyway, but for us, I think there's all, there, for all of us, there's, there comes moments in our lives where we have to, like Elisha, step up and step out and strike the water. Elisha had already burned his plow. He'd followed and served Elijah faithfully. And now came his moment of truth. And sometimes for us, sacrificing your past and going through a season of preparation may be the easy part. And we, we can find that we can get really, really comfortable there. Maybe you've already given your life to Christ. Maybe you're already giving and you're already serving. But we can get really, really comfortable there because that's a comfortable place to be. We go and we serve. We serve at church and we serve in our community. But maybe God is calling you to do something greater in your life. The whole basis of this book, of the message here, is that Jesus said before he left his disciples, I'm going away, and the works that I've done, this is Jesus talking to his disciples, the works that I've done, you will do greater. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to do greater than that. But I've never done anything greater than turning water into wine. But Jesus promised that's what we would see in our lives. But it requires us to strike the water. It requires us to do what Elisha did. With no word, with nothing other than faith, he picks up the cloak and he strikes the water. And the waters separate. They part. And he walks across on dry land, right? So he takes that step of faith. And he's, he's taking that step of faith that if God doesn't show up, he's going to fall flat on his face, right? What, we, what I didn't tell you is that across the river, there's a bunch of, of other prophets who have been following them from town to town to watch and see what's going to happen. They're across the river, and they're watching Elisha. If he strikes the water and nothing happens, he's going to look like a fool. He's there, they might laugh. They might cast him out. They might say, some mentor you are, and you didn't get what you asked for. But instead, he takes that step of faith, and that's not what happens. When he stepped out, the waters parted. And so he put that faith to action, right? Elisha strikes the water. And there comes a time in our lives when the plows have been burned, the ditches have been dug, the faith has been proven, and all that's left for us to do Strike the water. That's all we have to do. You guys count how many times I've said that? I told you it'd be at least 20. Somebody's counting from here on out, I promise you. Maybe they're at home listening to it on the podcast. I don't know, but somebody's counting. But striking the, diff- the water looks different in all of our lives, right? For me, striking the water was stepping out, was quitting my job, and starting a church. But that's not what it has to look like for you. It doesn't have to be that. Sometimes, for all of us, it might be just a holy discontent that's inside of you. It's like, I'm not living the greater life, and I need to find what that is. And we begin to wrestle with that until God begins to reveal what that is in our lives. Some of us, it's, it's God puts a burden on you. It's a deep burden that you see something in the society or community that you're like, man, I want to serve that. I want to fix that. I want to help that. And so God puts a burden on your heart to do that. You know, you alone may not be able to solve all the world's problems or even that problem that you see in society or in the community, but you can rally other people around you. Or you may be able to help one person with that problem that you see in the community. It doesn't have to be this great big thing, you know. I think too oftentimes we look at the, the characters in the Bible and we think that they were superpowered. But the truth is, they weren't. These were regular, average people that God called to do amazing things that were greater. These people were afraid. They were self-conscious. Elijah, Elijah, the greatest prophet of all time, even went and hid at one point in time and sulked. And felt sorry for himself. 
after he did like the greatest miracle, he had the greatest thing he'd ever done. He runs away and hides. These people were human just like you and I. Maybe I'm a little too intense for everybody today. I feel like I am. I'm sorry. It's possibly the second cup of coffee. I'm not really sure. (laughs) But for these guys in the Bible, everything was ignited when they struck the water. Not before it, but it took that step of faith. It would be amazing if Elisha had walked up to the water and the water started parting. Like he saw a little bit of ripple in the water like it was going to go just because he was there, right? Because God knew what was going to happen. And once he saw the ripples, then he could have struck it. But that's not the way it works. Elisha had to hit it first, and then it would part. See, without, without faith, it is impossible to please God. That's what Hebrews eleven six says. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And so it's so important for us to have faith. But the, the thing is, is, a lot of us have faith. We say we have faith. We believe that God's called us to greater. We believe that there is this greater. But the Bible also says that faith without works is dead. Works. What is works? Works is action. We believe something, and then we do something. Just like Elisha believed that he would receive a double portion, he acted upon that and did exactly what he saw his mentor do, which was strike the water. Anybody else counting? (laughs) So the question is, what has God placed in you? What has he put in your heart to do? What greater has he been calling you to do? I mean, we've been talking about this for four weeks And I know that there are some of you that are sitting in these seats where God has been challenging you. Maybe he's been challenging you with something at work. Maybe he's been challenging you with something in your home or in your community. What is it greater that God has called to you? What is that thing that is is in your heart that he's asked you to do? Sometimes we think it has to be a big thing, but it doesn't have to be this big thing. In fact, there there are a lot of small things that we can do. And I'm going to share with you how you can do three, here it is, buzzword, simple steps of how to strike the water in our lives okay number one start where you are we don't have to wait sometimes we tell ourselves we have to wait i can't do it now i'll do it when i'm married or i'll do it when the kids are gone or if you're younger i'll do it when i'm in college or i'll do it over the summertime or i'll do it when i'm out on my own or i'll do it when my finances are different but we can begin serving we can begin loving we can be giving right now we can begin doing that right now Some of us say when I'm in a better place or when I'm in a different season of my life. Because we all go through seasons of our lives. There's ups and downs. You say maybe maybe when I'm better positioned or maybe when I don't have so much to do at work. Maybe then I'll step out into greater. But you never know. That greater thing that you're putting on hold could become your work. I'm just saying. It could. So what are you waiting on? What is it that holds you right there in that spot? I have a tendency to believe it's because we've got this really, really small image of God that we just don't believe he's going to do it, right? But we've, we've visited this verse a couple times through the past couple weeks, and it's one of my favorites. In Ephesians 3.20, it says, Now to him who is able to do, and they're talking about God, to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is within, at work within us. Immeasurably more. That means we're not even able to measure it means you can't put a teaspoon or a cup or a gallon or any kind of measurement that you can think of that I can't right now. <laughs> there is no measurement that can hold what God is able to do immeasurably beyond anything we're able to ask or think. If you can, in prayer, sitting right now, ask God for something, he's able to do way far past it. If you can think of anything that you would like God to do, that you want to see God do, he is able to do way far 
past that. That's the God that we serve. And it says, according to his power that is at work, where? Within us. That power has been given to us to do greater. And I, have, I think the reason we limit ourselves so much is because we don't believe that. We don't believe that God has called us to this greater thing and that he's got the power to do it. Elisha had, how do you step into being the greatest prophet of his time? Elisha had to, to strike the water. It all started with an act of faith for him, which started with burning the plows, following Elijah, and then his first miracle was striking the water. But it was one step of faith upon another, upon another, and they built over and over for him until he got to that point. So my question is, what can you do right now to honor God or to go to a greater level? Maybe for some of you, maybe it's serving. Maybe finding a place to serve in your community or serve here at the church or serve your family or serve your neighborhood. Maybe it's a way to do that or serve the city. Maybe for some of you, it's giving. Maybe some of you are wrestling with tithing. Maybe some of you are wrestling with giving to, to people that you see in need. You're, you're holding on to what it is you have because you're afraid if you let go of it and help meet their need, that God won't meet yours. But that's not true. That's not how it works. Maybe God is calling you to a greater level of loving in your family, in your relationship. Not necessarily you looking at your spouse going, yeah, you need to love me better. Maybe he's talking to you about doing better in your relationship or greater in your relationship. Maybe it's blessing somebody. Maybe it's your prayer life. Maybe you have casual conversation with God, but he's calling you to a greater, deeper conversation in prayer. And you've been avoiding it because you're like, it's unfamiliar for me. It's uncomfortable. I don't know what to do in there. I don't know what I'm going to say. That's okay. He does. He's been there before. He can do it. Whatever it is, God is calling you to greater. And here's the thing. God is waiting for you and I to strike the water, to step out in faith. Whatever it is he's calling you to do in your heart, he's waiting for you to move. You don't need anything extra. You don't need to wait until you quit doing something. Some of us are like, well, when I quit smoking or when I, when I quit doing this or when I'm able to do that, then I'll come to Jesus and I'll do this thing that's greater. Or when I fix this about myself or when I learn how to. But that's one of the biggest lies of the enemies. You, you are not ready. That's the lie because you are. All you have to do is take the first step. And once you take it, Jesus will continually get you ready for your next one. Start where you are. Number two, use what you have. I love this story in the Bible. I'm going to give you a little background on it real quick. When we talk about using what you have, it's really amazing to me, this story. Jesus has been out with his disciples. And they have been, uh, there's been a, a flock of people that have followed him for days and days and days. And Jesus is, is uh, going out to the, to the seashore and... The disciples come to Jesus and say, listen, we need to send these people home. They're hungry, and there's no food out here. We're out by the sea. There's no, there's, no, there's no food vendors. There's no free hot dogs. There is nothing, okay? And, uh, and so this, this is where our story picks up. And just to give you a basic number, it says in the Bible specifically that there were 5,000 men. It doesn't include the women and children, so we're talking about 5,000 households, Okay. So the number was probably more likely around 15,000, but we can't really know. We do know for sure there were 5,000 men, and the women and children that came with them is assumed. Okay, And so here's where Je- they come to Jesus, they present the problem, and in Mark 6, 37 through 38, Jesus answers and says, you give them something to eat. So he points back at them and says, you guys do it. See, Jesus could have done this without them, but he wanted to challenge them and see if they would step up. If they would have just a little bit of faith and step up and answer to that greater. So he says, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? 
It's not that they didn't have it. It's that they didn't want to spend it. You notice it's not even that they, that they said, oh, Jesus, we don't have that kind of money. It wasn't like that. It was like, oh, we'd have to spend that much? Yeah, I don't know about that, you know? So anyway, he says, uh, so we to go to spend that much and give them something to eat? And Jesus responds to him and says, how many loaves do you have? Jesus is looking at all of them and saying, what do you got? We don't have to go get anything. What do you already have? Right? And, he asked, and, they say, and then he says, go and see. And when they found out, they said, five and two fish. And I almost feel like this is a little sarcastic, right? Like they're answering, because he asked about the loaves, and then they, we got two fish, you know? Again, I'm imagining the disciples. I don't know who said this to him. If it was Peter, I know it had to have been, been filled with a little bit of sarcasm here. Because Peter's just that kind of guy, right? But it doesn't say who it was, so leave me in my world. That's who I imagine it was, and I imagine it was a little sarcastic, because he answers five loaves, and we got two fish. To go among so many people, right? And Jesus does something amazing. In verse 41 through 43, it picks back up and it says, And Jesus, taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks, broke the loaves, and watch what he does. He gives it back to his disciples to distribute to the people. See, oftentimes in our minds, we think that Jesus took the bread, he blessed it, and that the miracle of the multiplication, because if you know the story, you know that Jesus fed 5,000 men with five loaves and two fish. But the multiplication, the miracle did not happen in Jesus' hands. Watch this. He gave it to the disciples. And as the disciples are breaking it off and handing it to the people, it multiplied in their hands. So Jesus took what they had and he blessed it. And they were willing to give it. Can you imagine the little boy going home that day? Just in thinking about this story. Mom, you're never going to believe it. Those, those bread and the fish you gave me, I fed 5,000 people today. Go get the soap. Come on, we're going to wash your mouth out. You know what I mean? Like, do you not think about that kind of stuff? Sorry, it's just me, I guess. Anyway, it's, it's totally not even related to the story. I just imagine that kid coming home and telling his mom that. <clears throat> but the verse goes on to say, and that they all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. And when we are willing to use what we have, God will take it, bless it, and then multiply it so that we can do greater. So what do you have? That's the question. For Elisha, he had a cloak. For David, David had a sling, right? I'm convinced that for David to kill Goliath, if David was a barista at Starbucks, that God would have used a stale scone to to defeat Goliath. I'm just telling you, if that's who he was, then God would have used what he had, right? In his hands to defeat Goliath. I don't care. I may be just talking to myself, having fun up here, but I'm just saying. Now, not all of us are called to be like them or do it exactly like each other does it, right? Everybody's greater doesn't look the same. Like LeBron James. I cannot play basketball like LeBron James. Does that mean I should never play basketball? No, of course I'm going to play basketball. I'm going to play basketball on August 3rd. But that doesn't mean I shouldn't ever do it just because I can't be like him. But a lot of us use that as our excuse, right? They go, well, I can never do that like you do that, Aaron. Or if I was to be a preacher, I could never speak the way you do. Or I could never love the way you do. Or I could never sacrifice the way you do. Or I could never, I could never this, that, or whatever it is. You compare yourself to other people. I'm just comparing to me. But your greater doesn't have to look like mine. It look different. What does it look like? And are you limiting yourself because you don't feel like you could ever be like somebody else who's already doing it? Greater. Use what you have. The boy with the five loaves and two fish, he fed 5,000 people. Can you just imagine God taking what you have, something as small as that, and influencing and impacting so many people? What an amazing thing. 
And it's almost like Jesus didn't want to do the miracle alone, right? He was looking for somebody to join him. The other thing is sharpen what you have. Continue acquiring new things to be used for God's glory. You know, it's amazing. We, we have this full band up here, and these guys are awesome, man. They, are, they have got to be exhausted because of the weekend that we've had and the week preparing leading up to it. But they're here and they're doing it. But Derek, Derek didn't play drums like full time before we started this church. He was practicing or he'd play around on them. And we came to a point where we needed a drummer and Derek said, I'll do it. And he stepped out. He had this, 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 he, he didn't want to do it. He's like, I will be a fallback guy if you need me. But Derek's playing drums here today, right? He took a little bit. I'm just using him as an example and I don't mean to embarrass him. But he took a little bit of what he had, and he stepped out. And I believe that God is blessing him week after week after week. Didn't Derek do an awesome job today? That's what I'm saying, right? So, uh, yeah, thanks. <laughs> so Derek's, Derek's awesome at, at playing the drums. And for some of us, we just say, well, you know what? Our tool, book is, is, tool belt is looking kind of empty, right? We don't have the right tools to do it. Here's the deal. Don't let how you're equipped keep you from greater. My pastor tells a story about how he, was a, he work, went to work with a contractor. He's a roofer. And he went to, as a uh, roofer one day, and he showed up, and he didn't have all the tools that he needed in his, in his belt. And the contractor said, I need you to use a level. And he's like, ah, I don't have a level. He's like, here, use my level. He was, he was given what he needed that day. I need you to use a square. I didn't bring a square. So he gives him the square. And so he's able to do his job because the contractor's giving him the tools. But my pastor said at the end of the day, he went and stopped by a store, and every day, every tool that he found he didn't have, he went and acquired that tool. We can't make excuses for starting the job without being equipped. God is calling you to greater, and it doesn't matter if you don't have everything that you need. God will equip you. He will surround you with people that have the talents, that have the provision, that have everything that you need when he calls you to greater and you step out in faith. And we're the same way. We may not be prepared but God knows exactly what we need to do the job, right? Some of us have tools or talents that have just been sitting on a shelf and we haven't even used them for a while. But I want to challenge you that in order to go to greater, you need to take them off the shelf, wipe off the dust, and use them for God's glory and for his kingdom. Some of you have a passion that you haven't pursued. It's just something that's been inside of your heart. Maybe that's a God-given passion. Maybe that's your greater. Maybe it's time to pursue. I don't know what that looks like for you, but use what you have. Number three, so start where you are. Use what you have. And number three, simple. Do what you can. God doesn't expect me to do graphic design for this church. I am not near as talented as our creative director on his worst day with a cracked screen, him working with a cracked screen and battery issues. I don't have his gifts, right? His worst graphic image would be still better than mine, okay? God doesn't expect me to do that. But God also doesn't expect any less of me. He may not ask me to do that, but he expects me to do what I can. And so he asks us to do that. But every big dream starts with a small step. You have to strike the water. You don't get to test the water. Like, I don't know if if you go swimming or how you swim when you go swimming. If you're one of those people that just dives right in. Man, it doesn't matter if it's cold. It doesn't matter if it's bath water warm. It doesn't matter if it's green. Okay, well, maybe it matters if it's green. But you just want to be one of those people that dive in because you know that as soon as you get in the water, you're going to have an awesome time, right? And regardless of how cold it is, you know your body temperature is going to warm up. And so you have faith in that, and you just dive right into the water. There's some people, like my kids, there's, there's two of them that the boys will just dive right into the water and they're in. My daughter will stand on that ladder forever, putting her little tip to, ooh, that's cold. Ooh, that's cold. And she gets the shivers and she's like, oh, it's too cold. I'm not going in. I'm like, you didn't even get in. Get in there. Shove her in, you know. 
<laughs> but you don't get to tap the water. You don't get to test the water. You don't want to skip stones across it and see what's going to happen. You want to strike the water, right? You want to step out in faith. Elisha didn't test the water at night when no one was looking. He did it in broad daylight with the, the prophets across the way looking at him. He put God to the test. And we have to have that kind of faith to even please him, which is something that just challenges me. It's like, man, <coughs> am I believing for greater in my life? As I started to, to prepare this message and go through this again, I started to ask myself that question. Am I having faith for anything greater? And where I landed last night brought me to tears because my greater was this church. And I got there. And we're here. And it's, and it's amazing. And thank you all for coming. Thank you all for serving and being a part. But I stopped. I realized last night, I looked around my life. I, did, I took some inventory. Am I believing God for anything else greater? I'm not. And I wept and I repented. And I said, God, inspire me show me what is greater for me so i want to put that out to you guys what's next for you what can you do some of us believe that we can't do it and of course we can't do it but when we get this kind of mentality we start to think about ourselves you can't do it on your own god's gonna do it you're looking at yourself and saying i'm limited by my abilities I'm limited by what I can do, but that's not Ephesians 3.20. That's not believing that we're going to do greater. That's not believing in a God who's going to do immeasurably more or is able to do immeasurably more. Do we believe that he can do it? Do we believe what Jesus said? That greater works than these we would do. All we got to do is get out of his way. We got to get out of our way and allow God to use us. You know, we compare, we compare ourselves to everyone's highlight reel. Characters from the Bible or people that inspire you, you look at their highlight reel of their life, right? You're not with them on their day-to-day basis. You don't see them in their low points. And so when you compare your life to somebody's highlight reel, it's really, really difficult to go, I can do that. Or I can live out greater. Because you're like, man, my everyday life doesn't look like Michael Jordan sailing through the air doing this. Boom! And hitting that... that that slam dunk that won him so many contests. But keep trying, you can slam dunk, right? Maybe I can't, I don't know. You may look at my life, you may look at my wife, my home, you may think I have it all together, and you say, Aaron, that's for you. You can do greater, you got it. But you know, I have to be honest with you, there are days that my wife doesn't even like me. (laughs) I had one of those... Just two days ago, I came I, to tell you this. It's, 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 I know this is the serious moment the guitar's playing, but go with me, okay? I came home with a blue box that looked like a Tiffany's box. It was a gift for my wife from someone else. It's a party favor, and I set it on the counter, and I took a picture of it, and I sent it to her in the middle of the night. She's working night shift. And she went nuts because it looks like a box wrapped from Tiffany's. And she thought it was jewelry for her from Tiffany's. And I let her believe that. (laughs) And her shift was scheduled to end at 7.30 a.m. And uh, at 4 a.m., she came walking in the door and said, when do I get my present? She left work early and came home to get her Tiffany's box. And uh, I felt so horrible. She has not liked me for two or three days now. I'm just going to tell you that. So, but there are days my wife doesn't even like me. And some of you, you have those days, right? I'm just a man. I'm just, you know what? 
We all have those moments. Some of you may have had those moments where you didn't like each other coming here, or maybe you'll have them when you leave here today. That's okay. Your life is not going to be perfect in order to go to greater. Don't compare yourself to other people. Our greatest limitation in life is ourselves. We put ourselves in a box and say, God is not able. We lack the confidence that we can't, but let me tell you that God can I found this, and this is, this is pretty amazing. The African impala can jump to a height of over 10 feet and cover a distance of 30 feet. And yet these creatures can be kept in a common zoo with a three-foot wall. And the reason that these guys who are able to jump 10 feet high and 30 feet out are able to be kept by a three-foot wall is because they won't jump to a place where they can't see where their feet are going to land. How many of us have a three-foot wall? Faith is the ability to see what you can't see. But we're limited. We're kept right where we are. Greater's on the other side. We've got a wall this high that is keeping you from greater. So I want to challenge you today. What does your greater look like? You don't have to answer me. I'm not going to ask you to write it down. In fact, I want you to just do me a favor. I want you just to close your eyes, if you would, for a moment. I want you to listen to your heart. In in Psalms, I love this verse because David says he takes time to sit upon his bed and commune with his heart. I think we lack these moments of silence in our lives and I think it's the work of the enemy that chases us and fills our minds with so much stuff that we don't have an opportunity to listen to our hearts. What is God speaking to your heart? What is your greater starting where you are right now? Using what you have right now doing what you can right now will you strike the water what action in your heart what are you hearing that you will commit to today that when you leave this place today you're like Aaron I'm going to do this going forward you don't have to answer that to me I'm just putting the challenge out there because I know somebody is going to come back next week and say Aaron I did this you wouldn't believe God challenged me here and I did this and God did this I want to hear those stories For some of you, that step of faith or that wall is committing to a life with Christ. You've never done that before. You've never taken that step of faith. And I want to tell you today that if you are here and that's you, everybody's eyes are closed. Nobody's looking around. Would you just raise your hand and let me know that you're here? Aaron, I want to cross that line of faith. I want to give my heart to Christ today. I want that wall that has been keeping me. I want to have the faith to believe that he'll meet me on the other side of that wall. If that's you, would you just put your hand up? Thank you for those hands. You can put them down. And for some of you today, I'm going to pray for all of you. You want to cross that line of faith, but you're scared, and I understand that. But stop looking at yourself and believe in a God who is greater. So I'm going to pray. And then when I'm done praying, there will be people up here at the front of the room that have badges on that you can come up and receive prayer from if you would like to pray and have somebody agree with you in prayer. And then we'll close after that. So, Father, I thank you for this day. Lord, thank you for being among us. What wonderful, sweet worship we had today. Thank you for your presence here. We felt in this place. Thank you for this series, for this greater, for this call to greater. Thank you for the challenge in my heart. And I thank you for the challenge 
that everyone here is feeling today. And I pray, God, that as you continue to bring greater to their heart and to their mind, that you would give them the faith to take that step, to strike the water, to do something amazing for you, Lord. Jesus, we just want to make you famous. And we pray that that desire so resonates in our heart that it becomes bigger and bigger and drives that faith in our hearts into action. Because we know faith without works is dead. Give us the conviction to take that step. Lord, I pray for all these that have come here today that you go with them this week and that you help them live out greater. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need prayer for anything, there are a few people up here at the